y'all. It's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys review Maria, Kamigami Battles, and Oros. Plus, if you want to attend this year's strike tournament at Gen Con, they'll have all the details for you. Or, if you can't make it to Gen Con, just make yourself some spaghetti and throw some dice around in a bowl. Dice in the bowl, baby! Hello and welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 291, No Friends Cadmium. My name is Marty. That's the artist, Cadmium. Cadmium is the artist. I was very confused because I saw the title and I went to look up. I said, I can't find a song called Cadmium except something that was looked like had an anime type thing. So hold on. I don't know this song. I'm so Tony. Was it? I'm, I'm Tony. No Friends Cadmium. So uh, entertain the people while I just listen to a little bit of this. Uh, so what uh, he's doing this, he's going to be trying to find this artist. And this is a an independent uh, artist who's been making music, I think, for about 10 years and he finally got a big break a couple years ago. And as if he listens to the song, he's going to hear, this is horrible. (laughs) What the heck is this? (laughs) What you were talking? I wasn't listening because I had the music in. Why is it called? Why are we doing this show called cadmium? No, no friends. No friends. No friends. Why are we doing it? Because of a review that we'll be talking about later called Oros. What? I happened to go straight to a lyric that said, and when I put my resting bitch face on, I look stone cold. Does that not describe me? Boy, this is the most processed, over-compressed piece of music. Oh, I don't want to go on no diatribe on what's wrong with today's music. And I know it'd be like, Marty, you just get off my lawn. I'm telling you right now, I could give you 10 things why music from 20 years ago is better than what it is today. All the oversynthesized stuff? It's not even over it's heavily overproduced. I'm talking about and the stuff he- 20 years ago. No. That, At least 20 years ago it was before you got into a lot of the digital uh I mean there was some digital recording but I mean everything is just so overcompressed and there's no dynamics and everything is through, you know, every all voice enhancements and everything. Like nobody's using their real voice anymore. Everything is what's what's that auto tuned? Auto tuned to the t- this song is auto tuned to the tenth degree. Hey, it was the best I could do trying to find something that was going to describe something in the episode later, which is what I typically do. Do you know how? I mean, a lot of the songs that I looked up when I said um, alone or by yourself, I'm like, okay, I do not want to go down the suicidal path here. I just need some silly song alone again. Naturally, I, I don't need. I just need something that describes how it felt to play a game recently. No friends. Okay. No friends. Okay. I got it. We'll, we'll see how that fits in. So yeah, if you want to get here, what we're talking about it's no friends by an artist or band. I'm not it's sure. An artist called Cadmium. Now I like the name. It's a good name. Cadmium's a cool name. But um, yeah. And, anyway. I, and I did it wrong. He uses all caps. So. <laughs> 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 oh, watch Cadmium's mom listens to listens to this show. Yeah, right. Hey, all right. So you know what? We're going to hop in real quick to some game stuff real quick. All right. Capstone Games. I don't know if you know this, Tony, has recently released their own brand of card sleeves called Phantom Sleeves. Yes. Now, there's a lot of people, a lot of people. There's a, several companies that do this. I know that um, Board and Dice have a, a line called uh, Paladin. 
Uh, of course, you know, there's the Ultra Pros. Game Genic has their brand of sleeves. I think FFG. No, may, FFG may not anymore because Game Genic does them. Anyway, what's interesting about Phantom Sleeves is the number of different sli- size sleeves he has is crazy. It's like 16 to 18 different size sleeves. All these are transparent, and you've got three different types of um, options. You've got gloss front, gloss back, matte front, matte back, and I think it's gloss back matte front. Personally, I'm a matte matte guy, or at least the front needs to be matte because you know sometimes you'll have. Uh, remember, we used to play CCGs many years ago, and we'd sleeve them, and you're sitting under a bright light, and you have to angle it just right because you might get a reflection or a glare. Matte sleeves took care of all that. Yes, they did. I, I don't have a preference. If front uh-huh. is matte gloss, matte matte, matte semi gloss. Matte enamel, matte whatever. Eggshell. Eggshell. Satin. Mm-hmm. Satin. <laughs> House blend. Uh, builder color. <laughs> I just I just need the sleeves to fit the cards well. Well, here's what's cool is that he sent us, a, he meaning uh, Clay from Capstone, sent us a really nice little, like a little neoprene mat that the stores will have. Uh, so when you go into a store, he has there's this mat and you take any card and just lay it on the mat and it shows you here. Here's the sleeve that fits this card, and they're color coded: red, gray, blue, yellow. So you put it down and go. Oh, okay. I need the yellow sleeves. You go over to the pegboard, and you pull off the phantom sleeves that are have the that are named yellow, and then it'll fit those sleeves perfectly. So it's a really cool idea. To be honest with you, when they announced this, uh, was about what two months ago? Several months ago. Yeah. yeah. I was really hoping that they was announcing we're ready to sell. Because I, yeah. at that time, needed the new uh, Seven Wonders card. And I always put my Seven Wonders in protectors, and I have the new set. And I wanted to use those. I wanted to get Clay's new Phantom sleeves. But it was a ways away, and I knew I'd be getting a lot of plays because the expansion came out. We had that, and I was going to be teaching to some friends. So I said, you know, I need to get these in some sleeves. So I bought some. And let's just say I'm not that happy with them. They're oh. They're okay. Um, mm-hmm. but I need something that when you stack a bunch of cards together, nothing irritates you more than having the cards stacked and then they just slide off. The, the deck falls off, you know? So I'd be interested to see how those do for the stack test. I'm getting ready to play Arkham Horror and I actually used his sleeves for sleeving them to see how they compare with some others that I have. And they're about the same thickness, uh, for like other LCG sleeves that I've used before. And I just sent you a link. He actually, if you go to the Capstone game website, he has that uh, picture of that. Uh, mm-hmm. he, there's an image there that shows how to uh, size them. That's the mat I got. So imagine like a mouse pad with this on it. And you can see a, uh, it goes, you know, there's like from A to R, different size sleeves. Right. So I need M, the pink ones, to get the seven wonders in there. And I like how he says effortlessly shuffling. I can do effortlessly shuffling by just knocking them on the floor. Sure. But I think he means that they don't, maybe they don't get stuck. You know how you would sometimes get them stuck on the sharp corners and you tear them. Yeah. Oh, that frustrated the piss out of me. And, and here's what the price is. You get 50 sleeves for three ninety nine. Whoa. So all, all of his, it's not bad. That's, no. that's a pretty that's, good, that's deal. good deal. Mm-hmm. I asked him, I said, look, if this goes up really well, would you consider selling opaque? Uh, you know, colored backs. And the reason why is because a lot of card players, Magic the Gathering stuff may want something like that for their games. 
And typically in tournament rules, you have to use opaque sleeves in, in that situation. He said, right now, he said, I'm just focusing on board gamers who want to protect their cards. And regardless of what uh, size card they have, then we have a sleeve for it. Okay. Well, hopefully I'll get some, I will get an order over to Capstone and try these out. Because I'm always interested in sleeving up some cards to protect it from those Cheeto fingers. Yeah, especially, and a good one is any sort of deck builder, like Seven Wonders, where you're constantly dealing out and messing mm-hmm. with cards, so that's really good. One. Now, he was really cool. He also sent us a Rift Force and Watergate. We, You and I have never played Rift Force before, yeah. which is a two-player card game. We need to check out. He said, I'm sending you these so you can sleep them and see how they work. Uh, it just so happens we already have a copy of Watergate. We got one of the original copies of Watergate, and I absolutely love it. So, Tony, since we have a copy, what do you think about giving this extra copy away to one of our listeners? What? What am I? Chop liver? If I don't have one, I can't have it? You're going to give it away? I mean, you can keep it for yourself, or we can give it to somebody in the audience. Wow. You just put me on the spot as being a... (laughs) Man, dude. Hey, you decide. Either you keep it for yourself, Mm -hmm. or we give it away to one of our loyal listeners. Yeah, I see. This is a, oh, wow, nice hard decision. Hmm, hmm, what am I going to do here? Do I want a game for myself or do I want to give it to our loyal listeners and possibly convince them to nominate us once again for a BGG for next year? Hmm, what's more important to me? Hmm. That's funny. Let's just give it away. I, okay. We always give, we never take here. Just out of curiosity, is this would Donna like that game? Uh, Donna liked that in that game. I actually have a copy, so that was fun. Okay, thank you. So you're just <laughs> messing with me. All right, as I, we're going to make this as easy as possible. We've been doing some contests over in our Discord channel. Uh, what we're going to do on the day this episode releases, which is May 23rd, I'm going to have a post in our contest channel on our Discord server that just says. Hey, if you want to be entered for a chance to win a copy of Watergate brand new, just thumb up this. And then uh, a week later, I'll randomly pick somebody and just send it to them. It's that easy, y'all. No forms, no hoops to jump through. Join our Discord channel and just look for that contest uh, entry and just give it a good old thumbs up. And that's it. Was that Watergate the one with the white cover or is this the one? It is. It's the brand new one. It's the brand new one. Oh, we so, got the old school, the classic. Yeah. See, you could have upgraded and then given away your used copy, but no, I see where you're going there. Okay. Why would I want to give away a used copy of the game? That's what we call Tony's crap box when we go to the office. And I will say... if. If you've never played Capstone, honestly, it's still one of my favorite Capstone? two-player. Wow. If you've never played Watergate, it's still one of my favorite two-player historical-type games. Plays super fast. I taught my dad to play it. Mm-hmm. I taught my daughter, and she took it with me, took it with me, took it with her. And when I was up there helping her get ready for her big move, I saw it sitting there in the game box that I've been collecting for her. And I said, you mm-hmm. know what? You haven't used this in forever. This is going home with me. So I brought nice. it back home. And it's a small box game too, which is really, yeah. really nice. So, so. so we also got Rift, Rift Force? Rift Force, yeah, which is a two-player game. I've always wanted to try it. And uh, so I'm glad he sent us a copy so you know I can sit down and do like a, a pre-Burt game sometime. For Oh my gosh. Here we go. Oh my gosh. How long are you keeping these dogs? So it is it was they were supposed to leave today. Uh-huh. 
How that what? didn't happen. That did not happen. I have them for three more weeks. So we are at the six weeks. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. So I have no idea that what they were barking at, but we will continue to record this and just... <laughs> And then the collar's going to come in jingling. Oh, and there's the collar jingling. There's the collar. So y'all just bear with us. Uh, Tony is uh, still dog sitting, and I will make sure to mute his mic uh, when I'm talking, and so that way you can't hear if anything's going on over there. All right, some other exciting news, Tony. But I'm going to squirrel for a minute. Okay. Speaking of dog sitting, so one of the things is, you know, I with the ability to work from home, I've been doing a little bit more working from home just so I can let the dogs out and make sure that they don't tear up the place. So the other day I'm on a meeting and, you know, for my company, I'm uh, heading up one of, for some odd reason, I was assigned the ability to move people from our current building to the new corporate center. And I'm taking our department and making sure people are doing what they need to do. So I'm sitting there, I'm on camera because that's what you're supposed to do if you are presenting. Can I interrupt just for a yes. second? Since you're working from home and doing Zoom style meetings, is it business up top and casual on the bottom? You are looking at how I was dressed today. So that's a t-shirt. Okay. So what does your t-shirt say? I can't uh, tell. Oh, my t-shirt's one of my favorites. No, really. That's very interesting. Please go on. <laughs> <laughs> Typical me. <laughs> that's good. No, that's me too. I really like that shirt. That's a good one. Yeah, all right. Yeah, anyway, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, so no you're having a meeting. Go ahead. So we're having a meeting. I'm on camera and then I've got all the managers and supervisors and I actually had a vice president on and I'm talking to him about this big move process that's going to happen. So one of the dogs walks in and out of the corner of my eye, I, I see her on the camera and I'm like, oh no. And sure enough, she starts licking her butt. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I can't, I, I can't undo this. I'm hoping I have a presentation I'm sharing. I'm hoping no one is watching me, but they're watching the camera. So finally, after three years of this, I finally joined the ranks of embarrassing dog stuff. It could be worse. It could be. Still, the be- one of the best ones is the, was the guy from the UK. This was several years ago where he's being interviewed and the kids start crawling into yes. the office and his wife tries to try to get out without being sick. This That's one of the funniest ones. And he just tries to keep himself composed. I think that was a live news uh, mm-hmm. thing they were doing too. So anyway, that's, that's a good one. Yes. It's not as bad as that. So what were you saying about games? Game related. Uh, we will be at Gen Con this year. Once again, we'll be doing our big strike tournament. Why don't you give us a little bit of the details because we're going to be putting our tickets out there for people to be able to purchase. Details. Old Spaghetti Factory in Indianapolis so you don't get lost. Just making sure everybody understands that. It's right near the um, convention center. What you will be doing is on Thursday at 7 o'clock, we have the banquet room reserved for 75 of our closest friends. Okay, anybody who's willing to pay us to come eat can come and visit. And it's service starts at 7.15. So luckily we were able to get this. So don't worry, the, the hall closes and you have to run over there. They'll start serving at 7.15. So that's the deadline. But we get the room starting at 7. We have to be out by 9.30. And we are going to be putting the tickets for this event live on the Rolling Dice and Taking Names Buy Me a Moon Pie site which you can get a link from the show notes. You can get a link on our BGG site. You'll be able to get a link in our discord. You'll be able to, we'll be linking everywhere. It's just buymeamoonpie.com mm-hmm. and you'll be able to get it there. Now, uh, for those who may be new to the show and don't know what we're talking about, 
each year we have a strike tournament where uh, a lot of people come and hang out at the old spaghetti factory for $25 per person. You're going to get, what's the menu? You will get a salad. Yes. You'll have your choice of either lasagna or spaghetti. And then you will get ice cream, soft drinks, tea, coffee will be also part of it. However, alcohol is on your own. Mm-hmm. Because because we learned our lessons when Bonacore was there. Fair. Now, if you do have special dietary restrictions, we can address that the night of the event. So don't let that keep you away. Exactly. The, the OSF has done very well with that. You will just let the wait staff know. They said they can manage that. And when I talked to them recently, well, I talked to them back in March to make sure we got the room. They said we're good to go. And we just have to let them know a couple of weeks in advance when we have to close this down. So we're going to leave this open for a while so we can get a lot of push from it. But yes, so it's once again, $25, you get uh, veggies, pasta, and dessert. And the strike tournament. Which is when you come into the place, you will decide, do you want to represent the Gladiators in an Arena team or Dice in a Bowl team? And at each of the tables, we're going to have either official version of strike set up or a plastic bowl and some dice and you and your friends at your table will play a game of strike over the course of the evening one winner from each of those tables will move up into basically like a semi-final tables and play and then there's going to be a finals to where we're going to determine uh this year who is represented or what shall we call strike for another year is it either going to be dice in a bowl or gladiators in the arena now for the first time ever I'm on the tail end of it being called Dice in a Bowl, first time that we've ever won. So I, th- I think that the Gladiators and Arena are going to be uh, ready to take that trophy back. So come out, represent your team, play a game of strike, get a meal, have a lot of fun. And we will always have some giveaways there. Everybody that walks through the door will get some, some sort of little gift from Miniature Market. Plus, we have so many amazing publisher friends who give us stuff at Gen Con to give away at the end of the event. So you'll want to make sure to come for that. Yes, I'm, I'm excited about that. Matter of fact, I need to start looking at and blocking my calendar so I can go to Gen Con. That's right. Like now, in fact, you and I probably need to sit down and talk about uh, maybe getting plane tickets soon. Yes. When is it again? When is Gen Con? It's that first week in August, that first full weekend in August. I will say this for any of our publisher friends that are listening. Our usual booth time to help Portal set up, we're free this year. Well, we had said we're going to help Restoration Games set up. Please. What's, what's Davio going to want us to do? Come on. He knows we'll screw it up. It's not him. It's Suzanne and Justin that'll put us to work. Ooh. Okay. Never mind. I thought I was going to have some free time. I'm going to be working hard. Okay. No, I'm good so with that. We were going to be, we'll be at Restoration Games on Wednesday helping them set up. And then we'll probably do some events somewhere, right? I know uh, we're talking to Miniature Market about possibly doing something with them. And uh, maybe I'll talk to Justin or Suzanne. Maybe we can do a little something over at their booth too. Whoever wants us to hang out. (laughs) We're cheap. We're we're cheap. (laughs) Cheap cheap meaning free. (laughs) And and we don't draw a big crowd until we get really loud. We're not like some people. That's okay. Oh, yeah, Gen Con. So, so anyway, so yeah, that's 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 exciting. So I can't uh, I can't wait for Gen Con. So yeah, go out to buymeamoonpie.com. Uh, get your tickets today. Uh, 75 tickets will be available. And last year, I think we about sold out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would expect it's going to be that, that sort of thing again. Now, before we hop out of here, Tony, uh, I will say I got to play a surprisingly good 
party game for Mother's Day, which we just had. This looks so good. He posted it in the show notes. I'm like, oh, this. Uh, Did you go look at it? Yes. This looks so good. I love party games. that it, This supports up to four to eight people. That can be explained in 30 seconds, and everybody gets it. Mm-hmm. So this is called Blob Party from WizKids Games. You got two decks of cards. You have a category set of cards, which categories could be food, TV, music, movies, history, books. You flip over one of those cards, and then you flip over another card, which just has a word on it, airplane, dog, cat, etc. Each of you get a, an erasable uh, little pad that you write one word that somehow relates those two together. When everybody's done, we all reveal our words. Whoever matches now works together as a team to come up uh, with the next word. And, and the whole goal is, is before seven rounds are up, everybody has come together as one big blob. So if you and I match, we're now working together. The next round, if, if our answer matches somebody else, they join mm-hmm. us. And it keeps going. And again, the goal is to get everybody joined together. So it's one big co-op game. But the cutest gimmick in here is you get a little tin or a little plastic uh, container of like a Play-Doh type substance. Each of you get a little piece of the Play-Doh with a googly eye that is the that is your color. And so when you merge together as a team, you squish your two little blobs of Play-Doh together and put the little squiggly eyes on them. And the goal of the game is to have one big blob by the end of the game. And that is the entire game. And we probably played five or six times and people loved it. When I was reading this, this is the, I don't want to say inverse of Just One, but it kind of sort of is, because Just One is the same concept where everybody must write down a word, but it all must be different, but you're working co-op to give the guesser what that word is. Here, you're trying to figure out based on what I'm seeing and you can or reading, you can validate this is that if you and I were a team and, and we have Donna and Vanessa who we needed to bring into the blob, you -hmm. know, Vanessa and how she thinks. And I know how Donna thinks. So you and I are sitting there as a team. I can just see, okay, so we've got movies and it's, um, say thunder, thunder. Right. Okay. So I might go, Ooh, Thor. Okay, and and, you, and you'd write down Thor and show it to me, and I go, yes, Don, Donna's not into this. Mm. Okay, and I, I maybe I go over to you and go, how about Greece? Ah, and Vanessa would get that, but but Thunder is too vague because it's not lightning, Greece lightning, and I'm like, that's true. I'm like, oh, how how are we going? I like this because mm-hmm. we would be as you bring people in, it's like, no, nah, he doesn't know it that very well. So definitely one of those couples game, in my opinion. Here's the thing is, like I said, we played with six people and I got matched with different members of my family. It wasn't always Vanessa. My sister and I matched like right really quick on some of these. And what's cool is she would go, well, I know what my husband's going to say. And I go, I think I know what Vanessa's going to say. And we try to see if we can get both of them in um, at the same time. The quickest uh, game that we had was done in two rounds. The clue was beverage history. What would you say? Beverage history? Or beverage, yeah. Beverage is the word. The category's history. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd go with something like Pepsi. Okay, so you, you would not do well in this. So five of the six people said wine, and the other person said beer. History. History makes history. Sense. Yeah. What's one of the oldest drinks ever made? Wine and beer. Well, see, and I'm thinking, what's the history of the Carolinas? 
Okay, see, one thing we did find, you can't be too specific. It's better to be more general and try to capture more people. But I just think that was really cool. That And then in the second round, we were able to bring him into the blob and finished in two rounds. Okay. So that, But we were very close to finishing in actually one round, which is wow, neat. Wow, that is pretty good. But see, I was thinking about your family. Your family's all from the Carolinas. Beverage history. What has the history? Yes, I, I did. I went, I went an additional Kevin Bacon removed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we went like old history. So, so yeah. I bet. So like, here's a, here's one flowers painting. Go flowers. Monet. Yes. You would join me and my sister. Cause we said Monet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so, nice. Yeah. So this is, by the way, you can, this is on pre-order over at miniaturemarket.com for uh, $21.99. Oh, yeah. It's a super small, cheap game. I'm telling y'all, this is a perfect perfect family game it is like you said tony it's very just one dish except with the twist you actually want to match other people there's the twist and it's understanding like this this is like code names it's also like code names if you enjoy code names yeah code names really did open up this whole genre of games where one word clues or one word answers yeah there's a lot like that yeah, like crosswords and and what's the one that you enjoy so much uh for clover yes so clover. So clover. That's it. So clover. Yes. It, yep. Yeah, all this stuff. So yeah, well, you just keep that. I'm gonna go ahead and get the pre-order in at miniature market over here. And then at $75 free shipping, it showed up and we're not even in the commercial yet. Oh man, they're killing me over here. Yeah. Go check that out. Blob party from WizKids for pre-order right now. falling in love with this chat GPT stuff. So here you are. You ready for the miniature market one, Marty? Here it comes. Oh boy. Here we go. All right. Let's do it. Okay. So here we go. Opening scene. A bustling game store with shelves lined with board games, miniatures, and accessories. The narrator. Attention gamers and hobby enthusiasts. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let me go back and do sound effects. So here, I'm going to put sound effects and you just, are you just going to read it like it's, uh, you're actually in a play. So here we go. Oh, wait a minute. Do you want me to do the narrator or do you want me to do the opening scene and cut to a close up shot? It's got all this stuff in here. It's hilarious. Oh, really? So it's actually written it out like a script. A script. Well, here, at least I'll put, I'll put in what I can based okay. on what you're doing. All right, go okay, ahead. So I'll just start over. Opening scene, a bustling gaming store with shelves lined with board games, miniatures, and accessories. Attention, gamers and hobby enthusiasts. Are you searching for the ultimate destination for all your gaming needs? Cut to a close-up shot of a group of friends browsing through a vast selection of games at miniaturemarket.com. Look no further than Miniature Market, your one-stop shop for everything tabletop gaming. From board games and card games to miniatures, role-playing games, and gaming accessories, Miniature Market has it all with an extensive inventory of unbeatable processes. Not that, prices, not processes. You'll find everything you need to take your gaming experience to the next level. The camera zooms in to a group of players excitedly examining the latest board gaming releases. Discover the hottest titles from renowned publishers and explore a world of endless possibilities. Cut to testimonials. Customer number one, I love shopping at Miniature Market. Customer two, Miniature Market is the most knowledgeable and friendly and their game reviewers such as rolling dice and taking names to end incredible job of letting me know what I want to buy. The camera pans over to a group of friends engaged in some gaming sessions. That's it. We've found our mecca, miniaturemarket.com. Of course, it's funny when, when you said 
attention. What was the very main attention miniature market shoppers? Yeah. <laughs> All I could hear is attention Gen Con attendees. <laughs> So the next game we got to the game night table was Auras from Lucky Duck Games, designed by Brant Reckenhoff. Quack, quack. I appreciate that. You know, you know, when I start these and you do things like that, you just throw off the track. And there is not much to throw me off. You know that, don't you? I can, I squirrel, I can squirrel in a second. Do we need to start over? No, we don't need to start over. Okay. This is just typical. So typical. Uh, but so, all right, this, you're not going to win this game with victory points. I just want I just want to start off by saying that it's true. It is true. You do not win with victory. points. You do not win. You win with knowledge. Exactly. Knowledge points. And I'll go ahead and spoil it right now. I'm clueless. I'm knowledgeless. <laughs> when I played this game, here is where the song tied in right now. I'm just going to go straight to it. All right. What was the song again? Uh, Oh, good gosh. No friends. Okay. If you are not with everybody else on this board, your life is going to be miserable. If you, not with everybody else. Oh, yeah. So there's a board in the middle of the table, with a bunch of tiles on imagine it. Imagine that. There's a board in the middle you, of the table. Yeah. But here's the thing. It's with tiles and you have your followers that are on these tiles. And you're saying that you were off exploring one section of the board by yourself and all of us were yeah, together. Without talking about the game. You got to be with the group. Plain and simple. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm just, I'm just drawing a picture for people because this is an audio podcast. I know. And all they needed to hear was be with the other players when you're playing this game. Don't go <laughs> off exploring by yourself. Well, is it, is it being with other people like being at the table or be, how, being how? You're talking about the player pieces being together. Just all play together. That's what I'm saying. Because okay. when I played by right. myself, it, it was a tremendous amount of Bad. Yeah, and we'll explain why being near others is actually beneficial for getting points and actually doing some upgrades. Now, Tony, I guess at the core, this is a worker placement game. Yes, it's you, it's the followers. You are your your followers are working for you. They're they are yep. trying to promote their demigod. They are trying to promote that individual to god status or whatever. And what does Oros mean? Bert told us. And I'll be mountain. darn if it's stuck. Mountain. Mountain. That's right. Mountain. You're trying to get- Because this is like, because what's happening is, this is in the early days of the earth, as land is pushing up against, you remember platonic, what, what's this called? Um, Platonics. Platonics. Yeah. 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 I, that, was, it's, that was very interesting in school. Did you know the Appalachian Mountains? The, how, you, know how, you know how the Appalachian Mountains were formed versus the Rocky Mountains? No, I thought that was all the same. So this is really interesting. I remember my physical science teacher taught this. She brought in a towel, like a terry cloth towel, and put it on the table. And she said, here is how the Appalachian Mountains were formed. And she put her hands on the left and right-hand side of the towel and just moved her hands together. Them. And, it kind of, and it kind of folded up in the middle. She said, that's what's happened. That's why the Appalachian Mountains have more rolls. Mm. Whereas the Rocky Mountains, plates hit each other, then shot up and went jagged. So that's why those mountains have more of a jagged look to them and the Appalachians are more rolling. Who said this podcast was not beneficial? Who says it cannot <laughs> no. educate you? 
I'm sure I'll probably owe $5 somewhere. So blame my physical science teacher if she was wrong. Okay, anyway, so these tiles that we're talking about are actually different land formations that bump into each other and end up creating mountains, which is what you want, because when a mountain is formed, you can build sacred sites, which is your main way to get knowledge points. But you don't necessarily have to ram some tiles together to build them up. There could be some volcanoes out there that erupt. Mm -hmm. And that can add mass to the land. People go, go, you need to go out and look at this game from the standpoint. It's, it, there's a great video on it from the Kickstarter. It's a great teach from that. And I think one of the things we need to understand is that there is two areas of your player board. And then there is the central map. On your player board, you will be placing your workers. But you will also have your, oh, I'm sorry, your followers. You will also have a follower on the map and you can have followers as many as you up to a certain amount on, on the map as you want, depending on restrictions based on the player board. But there are the actions on the player board that you will be taking feeding off of one another, helped increase your abilities in these games more than I've ever seen in any other game, Marty. Yes. Yeah. Because what's interesting is, is that, um, <sighs> As mountains are formed, and we'll talk about how that works in a second. Basically, there's tiles on the board that are numbered one through four. Uh, one meaning there's not a lot of mass there. It's like an island. And uh, four to mean there's more land mass there. Once a mountain is formed, you can build these sites. But what's interesting is, is you if you build a monolith on a square, you can't build the shrine or temple. Mm -hmm. You can't build multiples on the same tile. But being there... When somebody else does that could benefit you or being there when somebody builds one of those, you could build on top of it and the higher level site that you build actually generates more points. So Tony, if you get to a tile and you build the lowest level, which is the monolith, I can come over there and quickly build the shrine on top of it. It actually generates, it actually is a little bit better for me because it, it allows me to, to either gain more victory points or gain more wisdom which is basically a way to upgrade your actions. Meanwhile, you're ascending your demigod, which is the game-ending mechanism. I like this. Mm -hmm. I like this. It's basically a victory point track, and when somebody gets to the end, that triggers the end of the game, but that's not your only source of victory points. Honestly, we found that most of them came from building these sacred sites. Right. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so if you get segregated out and you don't have that, because one of the things is, to enhance your abilities, you need to have this wisdom and you're moving up these markers that are allowing you to do, okay, let's, let's talk about first off, uh, moving tiles. And if we go into how you move tiles and things like that, without seeing this, people are going to get lost, but you, you can move these tiles. And as you move up, you can move either on the initial three, or if you increase your knowledge, you can only move you can move just to wisdom. You're, wisdom. You're, you're going back and Sorry. forth between wisdom is basically upgrading your actions to make them better. Knowledge is victory. Thank points. you. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. See how confusing that is. Well, look at that. This well, it's not really confusing. You've got six actions and everything is upgradable and it's upgradable through wisdom. And you make, so that's, I really like this part. It's almost like a tech tree. Mm -hmm. It's like, which actions do I want to upgrade to make them better? Is it move tiles where I have better options on what tiles to move? Or is it the uh, journey where I can move my followers more number of tiles 
uh, as I upgrade that action? Or do I want to have the ability to send more followers to the map or return them back to me? And there's even an option of shifting entire rows or columns on the board. And the number of spaces I can shift those can be upgraded over time. But at the top of all these actions are straight knowledge points or victory points. You get to the top of the actions, they give you game ending victory points, which are crucial. And with the player, not with the player boards, I'm sorry, with the regular game map, when you're shifting these tiles and moving around, they can wrap around, they go off one edge, come back in on the other edge. That was confusing. So we probably spent a lot of time in the rule book at the very beginning of the game, the first game that we played, understanding how tiles move. Because you're right, Tony, they wrap around from, if they go off one end, they come back in on the same row. But there's also a concept of them going around the board. You know, if you move the extreme column or extreme rows, they rotate around the board as opposed to shifting off one side and come back to the other. So that was something that we had to go. And then you had to understand if there's a mountain tile in one of those rows, it can't even be moved at all because you can't move mountains. Well, unless you happen to upgrade one of the actions which lets you shift a mountain. So there was these all these things of how this works and the, the volcanoes, Tony. Oh my gosh, it took us very to figure out how volcanoes work. Because one of your actions is either to form a volcano or erupt a volcano. Volcanoes have level from one to four. If you erupt a four, lava spills out over the edge and into neighboring tiles. And what they're what it's trying to do is trying to build up the mass of a tile. So if a volcano spills over to a level two tile and it's a four level volcano, it's going to max out that level two tile to a level four, leaving two lava spilling over to another edge and filling up other tiles. That part took us quite a while to make sure we understood how that worked. Because you could also, but you could split the lava depending on where it is and how it filled things up. So we had to debate that. And then when we were moving the tiles, and this is what dawned on me two thirds of the game through, <laughs> when you're moving the tiles, not shifting, because shifting is different than moving. The tiles are grouped so that you can move either, you'd have to move three, or you would move two, or you would move one. And you pick, as you advance your wisdom, you get those options. The tiles can either all slide together in a row, or they can move in a column. And I kept forgetting the column part of it. I kept mm -hmm, shifting right. them in a row. And I'm like, and so when I did it in a column, everybody's like, what are you doing? I'm like, hey, I'm moving three. Each of them only, you know, this, in a column format instead of a row. And, oh, I, I separated some islands and it was a, I'm out there. I, was, I, I did. I had no friends. I was, I was, I was you, Tom you, Hanks. I was Castaway. You're all on an island. So the whole moving thing is interesting because if you collide into another tile, those two tiles merge to make a bigger tile. So if a level one tile and a level two tile hit each other, it's replaced with a level three. Mm -hmm. And if a level two and level three hits, it maxes out to a level four. Your goal is to crash or merge two level fours together. That's what forms the mountain. Once that mountain is formed, people run over there to start building their shrines up or their sacred sites up to generate those all valuable victory points. Because as you, as your wisdom increases on each of these sites that you build over the course of the game, at the end of the game, you're going to count the number of these different types of pieces you've placed on the board 
multiply about that by the victory points of where your uh, where your wisdom marker is on that particular track for that building, either monolith, shrine, or temple. Mm-hmm. Now you start out with just three followers. As you move up in wisdom, you can if you move up all of them to an equal point, a new follower comes on the board. Advance it again, another follower comes onto the board. And so sometimes you may not be in perfect position with your followers and you may block one of your moves. So you've got to keep that strategy in play. You may want to send them out, send them to study, which will get them off of that board to give you free up some actions. Another very key point that kept blocking one another is that you cannot have a follower occupy the same tile as another follower. That's against the rules. <laughs> oh my gosh. Unless there's levels on there, which are generated by the sacred sites, and then they could each be on their own level on the same tile. Or if two, if there's a follower <laughs> on a tile and you're on a tile and you collide those two tiles together, then both followers can be on that tile. Yeah. So there was these, all these edge cases that mm. we were constantly trying to figure out, wait a minute, what happens in this case? And we'd be jumping back to the rules. This game really threw me for a loop because when I first saw the board and saw the rules, I thought, oh yeah, heck yeah. I've got, I love it. I got a a player board. I've got six actions I can take. If I have a follower and an action, I can't take that action again until I move that follow off there. Perfect. Shift, slide, whatever. Let's go, baby. I got this. And then we started playing. We're going, wait a minute. What happens if this happens? Wait a minute. What happens if this happens? Well, this is going to happen what happens. So it's all these edge cases that we kept running into that we had to stop and go back and read the rule book. Mm-hmm. But it's, to your point, it's not complicated. It's not. It's, well, it's, you just got to walk. Uh, no, it's not. It's the edge cases that took us a while to figure out. The actions are pretty straightforward to figure out. It's the what if. It's the if then mm-hmm. that we kept constantly having to look up. We got it. We eventually got it and figured it out. But there was a little bit of learning curve for that stuff at the beginning. And even with some of the volcanoes, when two volcanoes collide, you know, it was just, you have to put that, oh, well, if two volcanoes collide, it's not like they're going to build up. Well, yeah, they do. Well, what if you get to a four? Well, a four, if a, if a two and a three collide together, they become a four and a one on the same tile. That's a special mm-hmm. edge case. And the, but if two tiles collide, nothing is stacked on top of it. Oh, if you vacate this space. Yes, there, there's a lot of nuances to this game that we kept running into. But when I say it's not that hard, meaning after the first play, you'll be like, boom. Okay, I understand how this works. But if you got a new player, you're going to run into the same issues. And again, the shifting of the tiles is odd. When you see it happen on the board, one set of tiles may rotate around the edge. Another just lifts column or row. So it's it, it's all that. Look, I enjoyed my time playing this game. I, I, I really did. I think all of us kind of synced up, uh, meaning me, Bert, and Mark realized we kind of wanted to be near each other because if somebody started building up, a, if once a mountain was formed, we wanted to jump on there to make sure we could build one of our sacred sites. I love the fact that if you build one of the pieces of your sacred sites on a tile, you can't do any more. So it's not like somebody can somebody can block you. The cool thing is if you happen to be on one of those sites when somebody else builds, you get a wisdom point. You get to upgrade one of your actions. I love the upgrading actions. I thought that was really interesting too. So I I enjoy, I, you know what I like too? Have, have you ever, I guess so, I'm trying to think of another example of where it's a worker placement game, but it's only on your own board. 
Like you can't block me and I can't block you because you're playing on your own board, but you can block yourself. And you really have to think ahead. It's like next mm-hmm. turn, I want to make sure I take this action first. So at the end of my turn, I need to make sure that spot is open when my turn begins. Yeah, I can't remember. We've played games like that. So, so yeah, yeah. And I can't remember what it is. So what, one of the things that did happen is for me, when I isolated myself, it really, I got so far behind. And I was sitting there for the rest of the game trying to figure out how to shift and move so that I could get over there and enjoy some of this knowledge building. And it, <laughs> and it is the, the old thumb puzzles where you are trying to shift one piece around mm. and um, like get them in sequence or build you, a picture. You talk about the... The little sliding number mm-hmm. puzzles where it's one through one through eight or whatever in a three by three grid and you're yeah. trying to slide them and get them in order. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so you're sitting there doing that. And this is what that game became for me is how am I going to slide and shift these pieces so that I can get over there before y'all, be, oh crap, you've built up all the sanctuaries never or sacred sites. There's only three that can build, be built on a mountain. So in a four player game, that means you could be locked out of a mountain space and you were just stuck in a position where you almost had to create your own mountains. But that really wasn't any good because if you did, you can only build one thing mm-hmm. there. And then y'all would come over and benefit and I would get farther behind. Oh, yeah. We'd be oh, look, Tony built a mountain. Let's go over there. Oh, look, our <laughs> knowledge is such that we can now see fair. I'm like, good <laughs> gosh, really? This. Yeah. There, yeah. This there's blows. one of these, uh, that's, which is actually one of the things which is cool. You eventually can uh, move up your uh, one of your movement or your journey actions to where you can cross over bodies of water. So, <laughs> you know, all that stuff's going on. So here's the thing. I also appreciate, too, that you're not going to be able to upgrade everything. You've got to pick and choose which actions are important to you to upgrade over the course of the game. But you probably for sure want to upgrade the wisdom on building your monolith shrines and temples because Bert beat us because he maxed out all of his stuff to where he was getting seven times the number of tiles he placed on the board for each one of his pieces. And I only maxed out one of those on mine and lost by like a handful of points. If I would just upgrade mine, I at least would have been up there close to a tie at least. Right. So my final thoughts on this game is even though I did not have the best time, I enjoyed the thinkingness of it. I enjoyed some of the puzzle aspects of it. I would enjoy playing it again, but I do believe based on what I, you know, over at BGG, I think this game plays best with three players Really? Yes, because I think four people, you can someone can get locked out. So we did play with four, by mm-hmm. the way. We've we've played this before. We never tried it with three. It also says that it's thirty minutes per player. I don't believe that's true. We all decided, you know, after our first game, once we got those rules down, then it was like, okay, four players. We knocked this out in ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't thirty minutes per player because then we understood how everything kind of worked and we kind of moved at a good clip. It's hard to plan ahead because guaranteed, by the time it gets back to you, tiles will have shifted and you might have expected something to be there for you to change or modify, and it's gone by the time it gets back to you. So you do have to kind of uh, think on your feet uh, when it gets back to your turn. If you get a chance to play this, understand that the game is going to play fairly quickly for you, as Marty was pointing out, but there is that learning curve. So anticipate not a long teach, but a long understanding on how things move. Even though I got beat tremendously here, I did enjoy the game as a whole. And for me, um, I like worker placement games. I have always liked worker placement games, and I love the idea of upgrading actions. One thing I do appreciate, you see how points are generated 
it's not a head scratcher. It's like, I don't know how to get points. It's very clear how in-game scoring happens and you can work towards those goals to maximize your, sorry, knowledge points in order to come out victorious. That is Oros by Brent Breckenhoff from Lucky Duck Games. Five-minute initiative begins in three, two, one. Tony and I love our deck-building games. And Japanime, there it is, Japanime Games has a deck-builder called Kamigami Battles. Now, they sent us the version of the game that's called Rise of the Old Ones, which is based in the Cthulhu universe. But they also have some other series, which is more anime, manga, type uh, characters and stuff but this one is a lot of characters that are based in the Cthulhu world and Tony when we talk about deck builders I just like to get it out of the way what's different about the deck builder this is a common deck builder both of us start with the same 10 cards both of us play five cards and when you're done you discard those cards draw another five there's a market that you can add to each of us are playing as a god you either win by reducing your opponent's god's health to zero or getting yours up to 25 So that's all the common things about the deck builder, but it's probably best to focus on what's different and unique about this, this basically a deck builder battle game. And that is the chaining. That is correct. When you play a card, specifically warriors or artifacts, you must, the next one you play must match the chain that was started by the one that you originally played. And this is very important as we found out that sometimes when you were like, I want to do these combos, but you can't because the chains are broken. And what is the chain? In Tony's way, it's just colors. I played this card. Yes, that's a red color. And and that red, it's now got a blue color and a silver color down on there. I can play it now a warrior that it is silver in its location. And I can chain off of that. And depending on what it wants to do, I can then, if I want to play another card, as long as that card goes to the next chain, I can. But once the chain's broken, that's it. I'm done. I can't play any more cards. And that is very unique and very strategic in this game. When you're going to the market, you've got to make sure that your chains are there and that you have the synergy with that. So when they design this game, you're sitting there thinking, okay, well, how how am I going to get these combos going? They've taken care of that for you with this chain, or at least for my deck, that's how it worked for me because I was able to do that. It kind of reminds me of Ascension because you know in Ascension where it said, hey, if you've played this type of card before, yes. you get a bonus. That, that you When you go to the market, you want to put those combos together. Here it's the same sort of deal except order of playing the cards is extremely important. Mm-hmm. If I start out with a blue card and the neck and the chain colors are either green or red, I better have a green or red card in my hand to chain off of that. Because I got stuck before where I played a card and realized, oh crap, the other card in my hand doesn't match the color of the chain. I should have swapped them and played them in a different order. So the whole chaining thing is really cool and actually drives your deck towards a certain style to where, okay, I just want to chain these three different colors together to make sure it always works as I draw cards. And the problem is, is if you have cards left in your hand that you can't chain off of, then they're gone. They're just discarded. You don't get to hold them over from turn to turn. Another thing that is unique, and I haven't seen this, Tony, react actions. Have you seen a deck builder where you could play a card from your hand if it, if it has a react action on it? 
when we would go into battle, when we would go into battle, I think back to our fa- our favorite ones, Lord of the Rings. When you would play going, well, that's into battle, not no, no, that's yeah. not a deck builder, is it? Well, no, it's no, not a, a deck, deck builder. A deck builder, like a strict deck builder, like Dominion. True. Usually, you don't play cards outside of your turn. You're absolutely right. Here, you can play cards outside of your turn. So, I thought uh, that was unique. Uh, also, you have resources that you could put on the cards. Your lo- you start with a location and a god. And each of those have unique abilities, and some of those allow you to pump up by putting tokens on them, and then you can spend those tokens to take special actions, either reacts or other actions. That has nothing to do with the chain, it's just an extra ability that you have. The other thing I enjoyed about it was on each of these cards, you had two options. Some only had react or attack, right? Or do an act, and you had to pick, which one do I want to use it for? You had to select that, because, oh, maybe I want to be able to draw a card or maybe I want to be able to beef up my ability to buy. So you had to pick those. You couldn't use them both. So that made also some hard decisions in this game. Also, the market is kind of interesting too. As cards are bought, when you flip over new cards from the deck, if it matches an existing card in the market, you put it on top of it. This guarantees you'll always have six unique cards in the market at all time. I thought uh, that was pretty cool. And speaking of the market, when you buy cards in typical deck building fashion, they would go to your discard pile. Here, it goes on top of your deck. Why is that good? Because if you have enough resources, and by the way, the cards can generate resources as you play them. Um, if you have enough resources to buy a couple cards, you make sure to get two that can chain off of each other Put them on top of your deck to be drawn into your hand next turn. Now, not everything is rosy here. I will say that one of the things I found out as we progressed along the way, the, let me back up a little bit. One thing that is rosy is the ability to get rid of cards or dead cards in your hand or hands you no longer want. You could you could definitely banish them. There was plenty of opportunity for that. That is one of the things I look at deck builders for. But here, as we continue to move along the game, I found it to drag along a little bit mm-hmm. because, well, I had gotten to the point where I think I just was rinsing and repeating, but then again, I did not see all the cards in the market. I decided I did not want to go to the market and buy a bunch of cards anymore. My deck was done. And I think that limited some of the actions that we saw. I also felt that I was limited. There was only a few attack cards to knock down your hero, but very little for me to pump up my hero. Like you said, yeah, so that's a very good point. I kept looking for a card to actually perform attacks, and attacks are very straightforward, by the way. You may have an action on your card that says attack with a value. I'll play that. I can play any react cards to that. Tony can respond, and basically we compare numbers. He has a defense value, compare the attack. The difference is, uh, is can be placed on either the location, because you can deal damage to a location and remove it, and those are usually pretty good, or go straight to uh, the god to deal damage there. I think ours dragged on a little bit longer because I had a way to pump up my god and regenerate health. So you knock him down, I just build him back up again. So it was that sort of thing. Now, this is a game that has a lot of expansions. Like I said, this is the Cthulhu version of the game. They have expansions that you can combine and make your own market. So you can combine multiple cards from other expansions and build your own market deck. So if you want to have more attack cards, you can. It's almost like Dominion, where you can mix expansions together to uh, create the market. So from final thoughts on this game is, if you enjoy a, a deck builder, enjoy that artwork, and the chaining is different, then you may want to check this out. Marty? 
Yeah. So this plays uh, two to four players. Uh, and you can, uh, I'm sorry, it plays up to six players and you could do teams and four, you do two versus two, three versus three. I think the the two, the one versus one is probably the most fun because you're just doing the head to head. Otherwise, it's kind of a free for all. Uh, the art style is very much manga. It's in that style that you would see on anime shows or, or, or manga books. So if you like that format, that style, it's very colorful. I enjoyed the art. I think it looked really good. Kamigami Battles. This is the Rise of the Old Ones version from Japanime Games, designed by Rich Gain. Five minute initiative is complete. Hey, y'all, we've spent the past couple episodes talking about the accessories over at Game Toppers LLC, but we haven't talked a lot about the Game Toppers themselves. You might not even know what that is. So here's the thing. Let's say you're sitting at your house and you've been playing games on a table, but you would really like to have a nice gaming table instead. What about if you don't have room for a game table? Or what if you don't want to invest a lot of money into one? That's where Game Toppers comes into play. Game Toppers is a modular product that you put together and put on top of your gaming surface. Very well engineered, has a rail to keep things from flying off the edge of the table, and one of the best things that I like, the bottom of the Game Topper has a non-slip surface. I've tried, y'all. I've tried to shove and move this thing and make it slide across the table. You just can't do it. So you're not gonna accidentally knock it off or move it or knock pieces around. Again, really well designed, well made, but when you're done, you can take it apart, put it away and use it for your next game night. And no matter what size you're looking for, they'll have it for you. Game toppers range from 36 by 36 up to 48 by 72 and four other sizes in between. Also, they have multiple finishes, powder coat black, luxuriant oak and premium walnut. But don't take my word for it. Head over to GameToppersLLC.com. Look at pictures of the product. Read some testimonials. A game topper is one of the easiest ways to get a gaming surface in your house today. Again, find out more at GameToppersLLC.com. Tony, you generally had us over to your house for one of our weekend game days. And this is where we usually get together and play a game that we typically can't get together on the table on game night because it's too long. So I presented to you a game that can last up to uh, three to five hours. Sucker. <laughs> yeah. And you and usually this is I think Marty's learning if I go to his house, he cannot escape. I have him. If he comes to my house, he can easily go out the back door and we can never see him again on these long games. I'm not the one that's gonna leave the table on a long game. That's you. That's what I'm saying. That oh. now if oh Oh, let him host. This is a three to five. Oh, hour. you can't leave if you're hosting. I see what you're yeah. saying. Well, yes. I got this game. I think you would enjoy. It's only two to four hours. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and you get to host. Holy cow. Y'all, this is an old game that's not in print. And y'all are like, my gosh, why are y'all covering a game that's not in print? Because we need content. No, uh, <laughs> because I was very interested in this game because this is a uh, Maria from Magnifico. No, that's from uh, Histo Game. Uh, designer Richard Savelle. This came out in 2009. Now, the reason I even know about this game is because back on SD HistCon Online, I hosted an event with Candace Harris, Sam from Lord of the Board, and David Thompson. 
uh, about historical games. And they all recommended to me, I think it was all three of them, or at least two of them did, said, you got to play Maria. And I had never heard of it. So I couldn't find it. I went to eBay, found one and shrank for 50 bucks, bought it. And I said, hey, guys, I got a game for us to play because it only plays up to three people. And for the game day, we only had three people to be able to attend that day. I had no idea what this game was when you brought it over. I had no idea of the history content of it, but I was very excited when I started reading the rules. Really? I was. Because the rules are, there's no pictures. <laughs> it's a it's a two-column small text format that's like about uh, eight to ten pages long. Yeah, but we're, we're all into this GMT stuff, so it's okay. But this is not GMT, FYI. But yeah, yeah. that's right. And I was like, wow, for an old game, this is, this is interesting. So I was very excited to play it. It also talked about, you know, the supply lines, which we'll talk about later. But I was like, oh, okay, I've just played a game like this. And I was very intrigued at how that worked out. So I was, I was in for this. I was, I was going like, I'm going, I'm going to go, I'm going to go full tilt in on this and make sure that I have an enjoyable time. I don't think you started out in it. Uh, no, didn't seem to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I had a, I had to get it set up, and you know, I was struggling a little bit with the setup, making sure that I did it correctly. So that kind of brought me down. And then as we started to play, it was kind of like it was dragging. I felt like it was just, it, I wasn't getting into the flow of the game, you know. I wasn't seeing, I was playing Austria. I wasn't seeing what I needed to do. And some of the nuances of the game fell flat on me. And that was around the allies. Who were allies? Who could do what? Right. Because each of you basically are controlling a couple of different countries. Well, here's what this is, is this is basically, it's the war of the Austrian secession. This happens about in 1740. The German emperor in the Austin head estate dies. His oldest daughter's Maria Theresa is supposed to become emperor, and she's from Austria. And France and Prussia says, no, 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 we don't want her to be emperor. And thus, combat ensues between several different countries, Austria fighting for her to stay there, and the other two fighting for her, uh, her to leave. Basically, you have one person playing uh, major powers, such as France and Bavaria. That was Bert. Mm-hmm. I was playing Prussia, Saxony, the Pragmatic Army, and you were playing as Austria. Mm-hmm. You had the you only had to control one faction where we were controlling um, multiple. But what was weird was it was the like you said the different alliances. I was actually controlling Prussia, who was against Austria, but I was also controlling the Pragmatic Army, who was allied with Austria. Yes, but you were going up against France where Prussia was allied with France and it's two separate maps that are going on there. And that's one of the things you had to keep straight. I didn't have a a big issue with that other than there. It was, I felt like as Austria, I was fighting multiple fronts. Sure. And it, it felt like what the way it was supposed to be. I had no allies. Even the pragmatic army did not feel like an ally to me. Because you were doing them because you were too busy on your side of the world and not helping me on my other side to help me battle back France because you were trying to just decimate my northern border and I had to get my armies up there. And oh, 
And I think that's where it turned for me. After two and a half hours, it started to turn. Things started to click for me mm-hmm. as to what I did wrong in the initial two and a half hours. But I never felt like the game was lost. You know how after two and a half hours, it'd be like, oh, there's no way I'm going to win this. Right. So how do you win? Each of you have a pool of victory points that you're trying to get on the board. That's it. Uh, once your pool is empty, the game just immediately stops. And there's multiple places to put them on the board. Typically, it's going to be through conquering. Each of you have these uh, generals that you're going to be controlling. Uh, they're little wooden tokens that you move along the areas. If you move across an enemy's fortress and it's not being protected by the uh, the enemy, you just drop one of your victory point markers on there. No, fu- no fuss, no muss. Very easy to do. There is a time that you may have to to fight somebody else. Uh, you know, when you adjacent somebody, you must uh, do some combat. And this is where I think the most clever part of the game is, Tony, is the use of the cards. You have four decks of cards. Each of them are the four of the standard suits, hearts, diamonds, clubs, etc. Number two through eight. Each turn, you're going to draw a certain number of cards to use for that army. And those cards are used for multiple things. One of them is actually in battle. This is really clever because the board is broken up into squares Each square is denoted by one of the suits of the cards. When you're in that square, that's the only card that you can play in battle. Mm -hmm. So if I was in a place that was denoted by a heart, if it was time to do battle, the heart cards were the only option to me at that point. But I might be adjacent to you, Tony, but you happen to be across the line in another area where it's diamonds and you can only play diamonds. Mm Mm-hmm. What I like, too, is each of you have armies that you've written down at the beginning of the game. You've allocated a certain number of armies, and you tell how many armies each of you have. And whoever is in the negative, let's say Tony's down two, he has to play a card from his hand to get up to zero or positive number. So he could play like a two of diamonds where it's zero. Let's make it better. He plays a four of diamonds, and he's at plus two. He has to stop. Play comes back to me. I'm on the heart side, so I have to play a heart and try to swing it back in my favor. We keep going back and forth until one of us says stop. Whoever is in the negative loses that many number of units and has to move that far away in retreat. And that's where a lot of the strategy comes in, Tony, is because if you're within three of a fortress, you can still protect a spot. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you can manage to maybe only lose by one and only have to retreat one, you still might be protecting a fortress and keeping your enemy from getting it. That was the game right there. How do I position my armies to protect without battling? That's something that if we get this game to the table again, that is what I am going to try to concentrate on. I didn't understand the positioning on the map for the control as well as I did near the end. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I need to do a better job of positioning. And even when I'm battling, going up in there to possibly push you away so I can whittle your cards down or I need control or better yet, I need to move up in that area so that you cannot take control. Even if you come and battle me, maybe I will... You don't have to win. I guess I'm finally getting there. I'm getting to my point, kind of like the game the other day. (laughs) You don't need to always win. Right. And and that is something you need to recognize, but you need to pay attention to just how bad you're going to lose. Because if you lose a lot, the generals come off the board and you don't get to bring them back until it's winter season. 
And by then, someone can steamroll you. So you got to pay attention to that. And if a general comes off your board and for every three uh, armies that you lose, you give a victory point to the other person. So you never want to lose three by three or more because you're automatically giving a victory point. There's another spot on the board where you can put one of your victory point pools. So you can put them on the board to overtake fortresses. You can put them on the board from winning battles. Depending on the faction, there's other ways to get victory point uh, markers uh, on the board too. For example, there's a whole political thing. And that was the thing that was the most confusing to me. Each of you had political moves that you can make. One of my political moves was allying with you, Prussia allying with France. And if I do, I get to put one of the victory point markers on the board. Austria. Allying with Austria, I get to put one of my victory point markers uh, on the board. Another thing that was really too interesting, too, is talking about political. At the very beginning of the round, these two political cards came out that would affect these political tracks on the board, which could positively or negatively affect each of us. And we bid on those. This is where the cards come into play again. Whoever won the last battle would pick the suit that has to be played to bid. You each secretly bid a card. Whoever has the highest value card gets the first pick of one of the two political cards in play. You can either use it or actually get rid of it because you don't want the effects to be even triggered at that point. So there's a whole other aspect of that, of trying to use the cards for political, but you also use the cards in the winter phase. Every three action years at winter phase, you can buy more troops for every four points of cards that you spend. So let's say I spend an eight. Uh, that cost four points each I would get a troop back. Mm-hmm. So I can spend cards out of my hand to add troops. I spend cards to bid on political intrigue. I also spend cards to uh, fight. And the cool thing, supply. How did supply work, which I thought was really clever too. So this was when I was reading the rules, the supply chain. I'm used to having to track a supply chain back to a city or state or something. But for this game, you actually have cubes on the map that are moving with the armies. They don't move as fast as the armies. Imagine that. They're, they're wagons. They're horses being pulling the wagons along and trying to get, bring up the ammo and the supplies to the army. And as long as your generals are within six cities of supply, they are continued considered to be in supply. And that is very important because if they are not in supply, the general flips over, he loses a troop, And he can't go conquesting. He needs to get back in supply because if he doesn't get back in supply, worse things happen to him. He get, he loses two troops next turn. That's worse. Yep. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) It is worse. It is worse. But what's also interesting, Tony, is you got to control two guys called the Ussers. Hussers. It was, it was a couple of cubes. The Hoosers. The Hoosiers. Yeah. That you could put on the board. And if you were to, to position those on the board, to, to be between a supply chain, uh, a supply cube and a general, then that general, in order to be supplied, must pay in cards uh, the number of spaces he is away from that cube. So you, as the Austrian, could put down these pieces on the board to make us spend cards because you've broken our supply line. Yes. And all of us could take our general and march through someone's supply and wipe it off the board. Yep. And then it cost, and he had to pay to get it back on the board. But before he can, he would then, how all his generals would be out of supply. Yep. 
And when we just heard what happens there, that's one way to throw down the conquest or slow it down. And we're only talking here, y'all, uh, starting out the game, uh, I only had one cube of supply. So that means every general is kind of tethered to this mm-hmm. one cube. They can't move that far away. I think that's brilliant. That means you just can't send the general off the other side of the map to conquer somebody where nobody's there. They've all got to stay within range of supply, which I think is a brilliant design way to make sure that you just can't spread everybody out real quick. They've all much pretty much got to stay together. Now, and that, it was different for the different countries. Marty's, for instance, just had the one. But if you are in your motherland, you are always in supply. You don't have to be yeah. tied to the cube. So these yep. are the these are the nuance rules that as you play this game, you have to get down. You have to recognize how they all impact the game. And that brings into the heavy strategy of this game. For a game this old, I was not expecting that heavy of a strategy. I know we've said a lot, but literally on your turn, your generals can move either three spots. If it's on a road, if it's on a major route, they can move four. Mm-hmm. The supply cubes can move three on a major road and two on a minor road. That's it. So during the movement phase, you just move those. If you walk across something, you might be able to take control of it. If you're adjacent to somebody, you're going to fight. That's literally what mainly goes on in your turn. These other stuff about political and all that stuff, that's outside your main player's turn. Playing your turn is very simple, but the strategy is very deep. On my side as Austria, I felt like... Austria was a turtling game that I missed, that I need to be, I've got to deal with France, I've got to deal with Prussia, and I should have been doing a better job of protecting my fringes. And I don't know if that would change over games. It might, because when I was playing this, Marty, and I don't know if you recognize it, I started saying, okay, wait a minute. Bert, who was France, was leaving Bavaria and France open for conquest. All I needed to do was march my troops through there. Right. And I would have emptied my victory pool, which as you've pointed out, is a different number for the various different ones. And you kind of stopped me from doing that with your little pragmatic army. Cause I was trying to move quickly through France and all of a sudden you got in my way. Well, but we're allies. I was helping you. No, you were in my way. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, you're over there decimating my areas and Bert's coming in and everything's and y'all two aren't going to fight each other. And this is one of the things that frustrates well, me. Well, we can't, we can't fight each other. I know you're allies. I, I got that. No, but, no I'm, I'm just, I'm just telling the people as allies, we can't fight each other. And that's the part of the game. I'm kind of confused on. I was kind of running ahead a little bit. And Bert was like, how is France? Can I stop Prussia? He's getting, Prussia's getting all the markers on the board. But I can't go over there and fight him or take those back over. So I'm not sure how that works. Every other way kind of worked. If France was running away with it, you could, I could come to you and say, Tony, Prussia and Austria are going to ally, which means we're not going to attack each other. I can actually take some of my victory point markers that's in your area and remove them out of the supply, which is good. Mm-hmm. means out of the supply means I ain't got to worry about those anymore. But we're not going to fight. You focus on France. And as... Me playing two different factions, I could kind of control both sides. I don't know how, as France, do you control Prussia getting a big lead? You have to get up to the northern and block you off. He would have had to have come across how, the he, north. With Block me off out. We're allies. He can't do anything. We can't He do can put cubes in the way. If he puts generals in your way, blocking your path or taking yeah, over I areas. Guess. I, I guess. 
that's why I'm actually in the process of reaching out to people that's played the game mm-hmm. and say, in this scenario, what's the strategy for France? Let's say Austria and France are looking at Prussia almost out of victory points. Austria can obviously fight them, but what is how does France help? I don't know. I, I yeah, that was that's a mystery. Something for us to discover later in a future game, which I hope we get to do because I really do. I do want to play this again. I don't yeah. have to play a different one. I'd like to try that Austria again. I'll play France. Okay. It doesn't really matter because the game, the base core mechanics are the same throughout for, for all three countries. You know, what you need to do. You need to play cards and how you battle. And the strategy will come in and how you get your victory points and earn various types of favor. I call it favor, but it's the political sense and, and get the troops. Overall, I'm glad you brought it over. I'm glad we got to play it. And as I've already said, I was very surprised based on the age of this game. Very surprised at how well and strong it was, how strategic it was. And I guess I don't envision games from be, from that being that old, having that sense about them, you know? Yeah, yeah except we think there's a lot of games that came out in 2008, Man. 2009 that, that actually were, you know, pretty darn good. And I know people are like, oh, guys, that sounds great, but I can't get a copy. No, you can't. <laughs> so fast forward through this. Because it was recommended to me, there is actually a push for somebody to pick this up and republish it. Uh, I think with the resurgence of like these types of strategy games, no doubt it, it would it would sell well. Again, if you're looking for it, you can find it on eBay. It is three-player only. You are talking a three- to five-hour commitment but I'm the same way. I am really want to play again. Ever since we've played, it's one of those games I keep thinking about. And it's now itching my brain because I want to try it again. I want to try something different. Because the core mechanics are easy to understand. It's just the strategy behind it and the alliances and everything. And it's really clever how it works. In fact, I'm looking at BGG right now. It was nominated in 2010 for the best war game. It uh, was nominated. It's not even for several awards for best mm-hmm. uh, war game for that year. So it was during its time. It was heavily noted that uh, this was a really solid game. And now I just wish somebody else would pick it up. So that is Maria. You're not going to find it at Miniature Market. <laughs> well, you know what would be funny? It's kind of like me what? walking into a board game store and I found the expansion to Pillars of the Earth, which had been out of print for years. Yeah. And you might. You might walk into a local board game store, a small one, and suddenly there it is. And again, I did get it on eBay in shrink for 50 bucks. So it's out there um, if you want to look for it. So I enjoyed my time with it. It, it, That was kind of a first impression. There there is definitely a lot of things going on that you need to track and keep up with. But the core action of the player turns is really straightforward. And I can't wait to try it again. ShopPortalGames.com Where you can go over to that site and Back now on GameFound, Thorgal, the board game, as well as check out all his other new additions, such as, did, did you get a copy of Eleven? Not, I have not. Have you got a copy? I don't have a copy. But, no, I don't have either. But when we do, there's a play uh-huh. match you can get over there as well so that you can make it spectacular on your game table. Be sure to check out all the 51st State stuff, all the Nirishima Yeah, hats. did you see this? There's an Ultimate Edition bundle pre-order that's out there right now for 90 bucks. 
That is a beast of a... That's like everything. It in, c contains all the expansions, Winter, New Era, Scavengers, Allies, Moloch, No Man's Land, 20 promo cards, and a neoprene playmat for the No Man's Land expansion. That is nice. And if y'all haven't played 51st State, that is still one of my favorite games from Portal. Also over at shopportalgames.com, think of it like this. You can go over there, look at the base games. It's not MSRP. He's... We got $40 for Detective. We got Nirishima Hex 3.0 for $38, normally $48. Robinson at $60. Robinson, I, I need to get that to the table again. That's, that's such a good game. Brazil, Imperial, Marty and I's favorite from 2022, $56. Be sure to head over to shopportalgames.com for those incredible deals as well as exclusives on their website. All right, as we record this, the behemoth was released by Nintendo. <laughs> oh my gosh. Tears of the Kingdom, baby. Tears of the Kingdom. I did not pick it up. I'm Me either. Uh, yeah, I'm going to hold off on it. I'm going to hold off on it for a while. Um, maybe yep. it'll be one of those Christmas sales four years down the road or something. I, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I know our Bert in our play group, he um, took a day off. He was sick. And so did a lot of other people in the world, didn't they? Uh, yeah. In fact, I, <laughs> I saw Plat Hat Games tweet <laughs> that the office is shut down today as we're <coughs> cough come down with tears of the kingdom disease <laughs> or tears of the kingdom itis. And uh, so I thought that was cool. Hey, I, I've done that before. I've taken a day off vacation to enjoy a video game. I thought it was cool seeing all the midnight releases. I mm -hmm. told y'all at uh, game night, we played on a Thursday night, and I went over there to get my uh, uh, $5 gift card for the month uh, because of the, the GameStop Pro program, whatever it's called. When I went in there, there was a line of six people there to go ahead and pay for their pre-order because they were just giving out numbers. That night, you should have already paid, and you just come up with the numbers, show it to them, and you walk out the door. And I saw videos from all over the place of lines and lines of people doing this at stores and GameStops, and I thought that was cool because, personally, I enjoyed going to midnight releases all those years ago. Yeah, I, I know I'm going to uh, eventually get it just because I enjoyed Breath of the Wild. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, but, but so I'm going to squirrel for a minute. So if somebody in the neighborhood is downsizing and they put up for sale for a hundred dollars, yes, working Nintendo for a hundred dollars for a hundred, I I think you can get it cheaper. Okay, but he, unless unless you unless they include a lot, did they include a lot of games? Yeah, it included Mario Three, included the the Tetris that came with it, which is not the one that's so expensive. It included uh, one of the Zelda games and things like that. And I was looking them up, and I'm like. Yeah, I think I'll pass on that. I think I got enough video games that I do that I'm not playing now. Actually, Tony, looking on eBay, no, hundred dollars is about right. Actually, some of them are going for higher than that. Yeah, you said Zelda, which will be the first Zelda. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see what that's going for. Uh, well, that's depending on the condition. That's a forty dollars game. That might not be bad, dude, for a hundred bucks. And if Zelda's included, that's at least forty dollars right there if it's in good condition. Well, he put he only had one game showing on the screen, so I'm gonna have to go talk to him if he didn't sell <gasps> oh, it. Oh, okay. But hey, it okay. was working. God give him that. I don't know if the controllers were working. I just saw the um original Mario screen showing up. I was like, okay, well that's good that that cartridge went in there and worked, you know? Super Mario three, uh, that's not that expensive. Twenty bucks. Yeah. One, 10, 20 bucks. Once again. So this happened to somebody was um 
Oh, oh, uh, the future son-in-law came and my daughter bought him for graduating all his Jag stuff, bought him a PlayStation 5, and he tried to set it up at the house. He hooked it into a TV, and the TV couldn't have the right resolution. I was laughing about that. I was like, okay, well, at least I got a TV that could play the Nintendo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a good point. You would need some sort of conversion thing to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, to go to an HDMI input, so I have to change. Unless you want to uh, go buy a CRT. No, I don't. I could. I could go to the dump. I have two of them. You have two of them. I think I still have but one. Yeah, the boys bought. They have two thirty-two inch CRTs downstairs, so they can play the classic consoles. Unreal. Play PlayStation One, Two, and GameCube are all down there, hooked up to play on the CRTs. <sighs> the things we do for for our video games. I know. Here's the thing about Breath Breath of the Wild. Tears of the Kingdom. Everybody's doing all these crafting videos, right? You've probably seen people putting stuff together and doing all this cute stuff. I, I, I just don't have any interest in that. I don't want Minecraft Zelda. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things I probably need to experience because it's probably amazing. But it's like, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm old school. I just give me eight dungeons and a boss and I'm good. Yeah. Put me on rails. I actually don't mind being in a semi-rail system for a Zelda game as opposed to an open world, but that's me. If I need to craft, I'll I'll play my daily Guild Wars and go to a crafting station or the Mystic Forge and try to figure out some recipes if I want to craft something really, really cool. And I'm just like, oh, I did not realize just how deep that... I. I curse you for getting me back in that game. I curse you. Oh, my heavens. Still don't understand why you don't at least hit me up and say, I'm going to get on. I'll come play with you. Because by the time I am in and out before you, I, the message would even make it to you. That's just it. I play for 20 minutes. That's what is so great about it. I will get yeah. in. Like I've been doing my dailies now. I've started doing the dailies, jumping around the map, doing things like that. And I didn't realize that you get gold for doing that. And I'm like, that's how people have all this gold. They go out and do all these dailies for nothing. How much gold do you get? If you complete uh, three of the four, you get two gold. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So over the weekend, I actually played in the final Diablo 4 beta. Mm. And I did not want to like that game, but I actually think I may like it better than Diablo 3. The mood and atmosphere is a lot darker, which I like. I didn't think I would like the online stuff with people being there, but they have world events, which is kind of like Guild Wars 2 where you're going along and something will pop up and people can work together to defeat it, which was kind of cool. They've added in crafting and a bunch of, a bunch of salvaging, crafting, etc. It was, I actually enjoyed myself and I did not want to like it, but I will probably pick it up day one okay. and play it. And it seems like there's about five or six people in the guild, our discord channel that's going to play. So we'll probably create a guild there for Diablo four. I see. That's cool that you can do that now. Are you and mm-hmm. that's PC based or are you going to go with, your place PC, hundred percent PC, and I, I and oh, one really interesting thing is I'm using con- a controller for the PC version. The controller controls are really nice. They've done a good job mm. uh, making this work on a controller, and I've gotten extremely used to it. And I was strictly mouse keyboard for all of Diablo one, two, and three. I'm actually going to stick with the controller. See, I didn't have any problems with the controller when I was playing Diablo on the Switch. Yeah, that's where they that's where they kind of refined it. Mm. If if you're used to that, then this you'll transfer easily to a controller on the PC easily. It's the exact same thing. Mm. Now I am excited about one thing before we get out of here that we will be mm-hmm. talking about in the future, and that is folded space inserts. Yes. 
they reached out to us because they got our name from Osprey Games because I'm um, getting ready to do a big review of Stalingrad. That was my game of the year. And Folded Space has come out with a special insert for that game. Where have you seen this? It's printed. Mm-hmm. Stuff is printed on the outside, the, the art and everything. It's not just gray. So they reached out and they said, hey, would you like to try this? And I went, yes. And then they said, anything else you want? And Tony couldn't jump in fast nope. enough. Yes, send me. What was it? Spirit Island? Is that what you wanted? Uh, I Nova? wanted either Spirit Island or Arc Nova or Role Player. Yep. All those are in my wish list at Miniature Market because I'm picking them up as the allowance allows. Because mm-hmm. I've picked up Wingspan, I've picked up Sagrada, I've picked up the one for uh, Imperial Settlers, I've picked up one uh, also for, oh, another one for Portal. So I've got... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got Empires of the North. Empires of the North, that's the other one I picked up. Yep, I got that in, in Arkham Horror 3rd Edition, yep. I enjoy these. I mean, there are some things that, you know, I'll admit that the Broken Token has an advantage over, like for LCGs, the ability to move, the ability to move uh, the spacing for cards... Yeah. Whereas this may not have that ability, though I have not seen how they handle the living card game. Yeah, I don't know if it's adjustable slots. Here's the thing. I have my own system for restoring that stuff anyway. It's not going to be in the original box, so I'm not going to use it. But one of the benefits of folded space over broken token is weight. Oh, weight, yeah. Oh, my gosh. The amount of weight that can be added in a big broken token insert was insane, and this is just foam. It's so light. You should pick up my journeys to Middle Earth where I have my big broken token insert in there. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I, that's a beast, baby. I, that's a Balrog. Yep. Looking forward to doing those. And shoot, that might even be another video that I'm doing because, you know, I am trying to get these game night videos out, trying to get them out for the people to enjoy and, and figure them out. So I hope to get another one out here soon. But, you know, Marty's not Marty's holding his breath on those. Hey, you, you've put out two, so uh, far be it from me to say I'll never see it because you've come through each time. Mm-hmm. And I, I I was at the last one. Would you actually put me in this one or put it out since I'm in it? Uh, I'm trying to. I ran into a little uh, problem here, but that's okay. We'll figure it out. We'll see what happened. The camera, I hate when my, my phone autofocuses in and out, in and out, and in and out, and I forget to, do, to, to deal with that, you know? Oh yeah, you got you got to force it to not mm. autofocus, basically. And I don't or know auto... if it's so irritating. Oh, is it the focusing or the light adjustment? Which one? It's the focusing. Got it. Yeah, okay. So anyway, but with that, I'm going to keep rolling dice and taking names. Hey y'all! Thanks for listening. Don't forget, if you're coming to Gen Con and want to attend our strike event, go over to BuyMeAMoonPie.com. You can get tickets and you can support the show over there. Also, we got a contest going on over our Discord channel, so make sure to join there and follow us on social media at Dyson Names. Hey Marty, did you do anything special for Vanessa this Mother's Day? Sure, got her some gifts and some flowers. Yeah. You did much better than I did, but do you know why a mommy cat wants to go bowling on Mother's Day? No, Tony. Why does a mommy cat want to go bowling on Mother's Day? Because she's an alley cat. Mm. Okay. That's the best you could find. <laughs> it was the mm. first one. <laughs> Give me a break. That's why we ask people to put them on our Discord channel. <laughs> mm. Hey, they can't, all can't be winners. <laughs> <laughs>